Hello and welcome to this podcast. Today we are joined with Lorraine Huber, who is a pre-ride world champion skier and um, has been on the tour for many, many years and uh, considered one of the best female free-ride skiers in the world. Um, hey Lorraine, how are you doing? Hi Ken. thanks for having me. Good to, good to get to talk to you. Um, so thanks for joining us. Today's um, sort of theme, if you like, is motivation, inspiration, etc. And um, you, you've had a huge, you know, very long career and a very um, a fantastic career. And when, when careers span that sort of length, you know, motivation certainly a, uh, you know, must is or must be a huge factor in staying motivated to keep training, keep competing, keep going back after the cold days and when times don't go wrong. And, um, but first, you know, it'd be really interesting to get some insight into that later as to how you, how you've managed your motivations and how, um, you've been able to use it to your advantage. But first of all, how did you become inspired to become a skier in the first place? Well, I, I mean, I would say growing up where I, I did in Lech, which is a ski resort, <clears throat> you know, I mean, I grew up just a hundred meters away from the closest lift and my dad was a ski instructor. I, th I was always a skier because skiing was always a very normal part of my life. But to become inspired to become a free ride skier, um, you know, it really, it really wasn't a conscious decision. Um, I think it was much more a natural progression. Um, just responding to the pull of the mountains. And, and I, I think I always had an inner desire just to, to improve and, and be the best skier I can be. And um, what was key for me was to have the right people around me. So I remember when I first started getting into free riding, um, I was surrounded by people who also loved skiing and snowboarding and were already being very creative and trying out new things. So that, that was really important was the crew, the solid crew and being part of that. Mm. Mm. So do you think it was your desire to kind of improve and get better or do you, would do you like, could that have swapped over to another discipline or do you think it was just skiing that you absolutely loved to do? Well, I mean, I, cause I, I grew up in Austria and in Australia and I, I was very passionate also about horse riding and ballet and piano. So I think I've always been a person that's passionate about a, a lot of things. It's easy for me to feel passionate, excited about a whole multitude of things, but I guess skiing mm, was my biggest one, I guess. Yeah. Just, I just feel so happy when I'm, when I'm skiing and it's, you know, to answer your question about motivating yourself, if you can find a passion that you really, really enjoy and that challenges you, then, uh, then you will have the strength to get through the tough times as well. Definitely. So like a, a big part of it is finding something that you truly love doing just for the sake of doing it. And I think, uh, finding it is is what I want to kind of underline there. I don't think you can just fall into into like having a passion. You have to try out things and see 
how you feel when you do them and um, keep trying things until you find something that you're really passionate about. Mm. And was it all sort of, did you always love skiing? Was it all sort of always plain sailing where you always sort of motivated to ski or did you have times where there were troughs or hiccups where you had to change your thinking or how you approached skiing? Well, I, you know, I went through a lot of different phases in terms of how much time I had to ski. Um, so in, you know, throughout my 20s, I was studying um, business management and I started studying that in Vienna. So I was actually just skiing seven weeks a year as a, as a ski instructor. I was working as a ski instructor here in Lech. And I would just ski with my friends outside of ski school. So it was much more just any, any minute I could get to be able to go skiing. I was just stoked to do it. Um, I think your question becomes more relevant when, um, when it becomes your job mm. and you start having expectations that are weighing on you and, and you have sponsors and you, you're getting paid to, to perform and to also produce results. Um, and I would say, no, I mean, it does fluctuate. Like I would definitely at the, towards the end of the season, I could often um, feel a little bit jaded <clears throat> at the end of the competition season. And what was really important for me was to make sure I, I took time to just go skiing for myself where the goal wasn't to produce anything, wasn't to film, wasn't to uh, even ski something super gnarly, but just to do what I felt like doing and be out with my friends. Um, you could think of it as soul skiing as well. Mm -hmm. And what I love doing at the end of the season is ski mountaineering. I still love it um, because it's a, it's a different aspect of the kind of skiing I do. Um, it requires totally different skills and, and it gets you out in the mountains um, in a really adventuresome environment. So it's not just a sport where you're doing laps in the ski area and free riding and jumping and doing as many runs as you can. Basically, it's more about um, moving from A to B and having that adventure where you're not sure if you're going to make it where you see new things, those experiences are really um, lasting. And those are the kind of things that might stick in your mind much, much stronger uh, than lapping around in a ski area. So I would introduce variety into my skiing to answer your question, actually. So I wasn't always just free riding in the ski area. I'd make sure I'd also be ski touring and ski mountaineering um, skiing with different people, challenging myself in different ways, but also sometimes allowing myself to just chill out and not constantly be pushing and having to feel like I have to ski a gnarly line. I also needed those, those downtimes where I could just enjoy more the mountain and being outside and, and the, the nature experience, uh, as opposed to me always feeling like I have to perform. Mm. Yeah, there's um, the recovery time and whether it's solitude or just rest or just laughing and having a giggle is so important to kind of 
give everything perspective and come back with the gusto to meet those challenges. And, um, you know, I'm imagining, you know, most people listening probably, you know, think, wow, skiing, how could you ever get bored of skiing? <laughs> how, you know, how much fun is that? But as you said earlier, when it becomes your, or your career and your job and your, um, your, your, your life, so to speak, um, I, you know, I imagine not all, all, all of it, but imagine the novelty of, of, you know, the kind of the weekend warrior or people who just enjoy skiing on holiday that kind of wears off and, and it becomes your, your day to day. And, um, mm -hmm. when you have those pressures of, as you've had the sponsors, the expectations of the tour organizers, your own expectations, your maybe family or friends or coaches or whatever. Um, when there's high kind of extrinsic or external drivers and motives at play there, how have you been able to, to still stay motivated and fresh and, um, and psyched to do what you do? Mm. Oh, that's a really good question. Um, that was a real process, a learning process for me because it's very, very easy to um, do what everyone else does and focus on winning and focus on results and points and podium finishes. Um, you know, I've definitely had a few years of my career where I would think that was a good thing for me to do as well in terms of goal setting. Um, but as I um, continued in my career, I realized it, it creates a lot of pressure if you're focusing on, on results. And it, it really took me away from how I wanted to ski at a competition. And it took a lot of enjoyment out of it because I was overly stressed, overly tense like my arousal levels were definitely way too high. <clears throat> I always had to work on, on getting them down <laughs> because uh, when we ski those lines at, at the big mountain contest at the Ferrero World Tour, they're, they're very challenging lines that, that we plan for sometimes days. So without even doing anything, your arousal levels are gonna be already quite, quite high up and then add mm. that whole pressure of competition Add the live stream, the Cineflex heli, uh, filming you, the judges, and all that other stuff. You're going to be pretty, pretty amped up there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, for me, it was important to change my whole mindset, um, and the Flow Center helped me a lot with that, from focusing on results to focusing on learning and growing. So essentially like learning and growing is really just the process. And that saying like the, uh, there's a saying in German, um, maybe you can help me, what, what is it in English? Like the, the way is the actual goal. The process is the goal, not the, the end result itself. That's maybe a bit trite, but it really is true. Mm. Um, yeah, because you can focus more on the controllables and what you're actually able to to manage as opposed to external results, which are often totally out of your control because I can't control how the other competitors are going to be skiing that day. I can't control how the judges are going to perceive me. I can't control other external circumstances like 
you know, things that can happen in a free row contest. I might land on a rock. I might uh, ski in a line where the snow conditions are much worse than they were at inspection. And Success as well in terms of having those high standards and aiming for that little bit more. And, um, you know, we can't get away from an extrinsic drivers and motives. They're always there. Um, but our ability to kind of remind ourselves of the intrinsic drivers and the intrinsic motors to kind of balance them out allows us to kind of get that motivational fit and and therefore that that energy or that direction and did did you sort of find that on those down days where you know maybe you're sitting in an airport and you're just like oh my god another 30 hour flight here i come or or you're stuck in you know there's the weather's bad and you're stuck inside for two days and and you're kind of what you want to do you can't do and and um you know, there's a whole nother side to professional sport and a professional athlete that many people, you know, many people only see the glitzy side of it, but there's all that, all that traveling and waiting and, um, you know, which can, which can be very difficult to manage. And did you, um, you know, what kind of got you through those times? Did you have, you know, was it getting that kind of managing your motivational fit so you've got the same intrinsic motivations if he has the extrinsic ones or was it holding on to a, a particular goal that you had or just because you you're inspired to ski and and get back on the mountain what what drove you through those times to to keep going and, and do what you, you do what you've done um well i would have to say that I would um, find what the good was in that situation. You know, there's always something you can take with you in terms of enjoying an experience or having a new experience and, and traveling with, um, with the other riders on the Freeride World Tour. You know, that in itself was, was a great experience and something you know, I really, really appreciate having had the chance to, to have in my life because um, to be together with a group of, of 60 amazing skiers who just share your passion already was something really special. So on a lot of the down days, we would always still find something to do, even if it was just hiking around or making a bonfire or partying or, you know, <laughs> that, that, was often, you know, even if we had the down days, I would say to myself, well, it's, I still get to hang out with these people. So I guess, you know, I would still find something that was intrinsically motivating to me why I was there. And it's also part of the process. It's, it's part of what it means to compete in big mountain competitions. You know, it's not like a, it's, it's a very um, uncontrollable environment. And I think as a, as a big mountain skier or any kind of athlete in, in outdoor sports, you understand that and it's just part of it. And um, yeah, you stay curious and open and you're always going to find something that you can take with you. And I think another big key is to manage your thoughts as well. Because if you're sitting there and maybe at home, the conditions are great, but where you are, they're just really lousy. And if you, allow yourself to keep thinking, oh, I can't believe I'm here and at home it's so epic and I'm missing out. And you're allowing um, yourself to just 
go over those thoughts again and again, that's obviously going to have a huge impact on your, on your experience. So, you know, I'd always just try and be in the present moment and, and make the best of it really. Um, it's yeah, a big part of it is, is disciplining your thoughts as well and just controlling, well, controlling sounds maybe a bit negative, but just being aware of, of what your experience is and where you're pouring your energy into because where, you know, where fo your focus is, that's where your energy is going to flow into. So if I'm focusing on what I'm missing out on, I'm going to really feel like I'm missing out. You know, that's, mm. that's for sure. Which is kind of exciting because it, you know, makes, makes you realize how much you can manage your own experience. You really are the creative of the experience you're having. You know, you're very powerful in that way. Yeah, that's super interesting. And, you know, like you were saying, where we place our attention, whether that's a thought or our eyes or our consciousness at that time, that really provides, I guess, the, the channel or the pipe for yeah. our energy to then be channeled through, you know, whatever that lens is. And, um, yeah. yeah, it's a good way of putting it for sure. Mm -hmm. oh. And how would, um, You know, how would you <laughs> turn? How would you turn up the energy when the, when you had your focus? You were like managing your attention. You're going, okay, my attention's in the right place, but there's just not much gas in the tank. Where's my Where's my energy? Where's my my drive mm -hmm. here? Um, what sort of would you have any little tricks and tips um, other than focusing on the process or going to that more social orientated approach um, that has really helped you? Um, what did I do? I would, um, kind of a whole bunch of things. I would try and manage my thoughts. You know, I would have some power images and power words that, that I would use to, to feel more energized. Um, I also like to do visualizations. So imagining light spreading through my body and focusing on, on how the light is filling my body up. So mm. other people know it as meditation. Uh, it has nothing spiritual about it, but um, those visualizations were good for me as well. Um, reminding myself how lucky I am to have the, that experience and to be able to travel around the world, you know, with all these amazing people on tour. So gratitude uh, was a, an important key emotion for me. Oh. Um, getting energy from the mountains themselves, like looking out over the, the beauty of the mountains and just taking all that in. Um, you mentioned the social approach, which is important because there are some people on tour who aren't that positive and other people who are very positive and you want to surround yourself with the right people as well. So managing that um, being in the moment helped me a lot and just, you know, really focusing on how I wanted to ski and the feeling I wanted to have in the air and the feeling I wanted to have when I, you know, pop off my skis to take an air and land and slash a turn. So all those, I guess I'm very, um, uh, is it kinesthetic? Is that the right word? Um, yeah. you know, 
touch and feel for me is really important. So those are some of the, some of the things I would do to, to manage that. And, you know, I, I definitely had to as well. I wasn't always super pumped and stoked. And, you know, we also had times where we had to compete twice in two days and you're tired and you, you know, you hadn't slept a lot. I generally didn't sleep very much at the, you know, before a comp because you were studying your line and often you just run out of time with, with study. And, you know, sometimes we had writers meeting well, at 8 PM until 9 PM where we got the information about where we'd be skiing, like just crazy things like that. Um, very stressful. So part of that is um, expecting the unexpected, um, staying flexible and just having the mindset of, okay, you know, I'm here to challenge myself, bring it on. This is, this is what I'm here for. This is good. Um, not, not fighting that because if you, if you're competing in, in big mountain comps, you're going to have a lot of turmoil. There's nothing straightforward about it at all. So I think uh, for me competing on the tour, I think I was able to build a lot of mental toughness and resilience um, yeah, it taught me a lot for sure. Mm. So thank you for a little talk. <laughs> yeah, nice side effect there. Yeah, sure. well, it's a good, good sign of where you're at when you, uh, you know, when you, you become the product of, we're all the product of our past, I guess, in one way or another, but when we choose it to, uh, to be a step a stepping stone for our for our future graces there's no better yeah. no better outlook yeah. to have um you know how you know nowadays you've you've well you've only just stopped competing but you're you're still doing lots of movies and you're you know, you're doing a you're filming this week actually yesterday weren't you i think and um you, you, for people that don't know you know you you do public speaking i think you do some coaching you uh, you kind of run your own, uh, you are a brand, I guess, your name and um, and people invite you to different events for different reasons. And there's a lot of variety, I guess, in, in what you're doing nowadays. And um, you run retreats and all sorts of stuff. Um, what have you kind of taken from your competing days into this, I guess, second, not second life, but this new chapter for you in terms of... Um, what's been what has been a helpful skill that oh, you've wow. now adapted into what you're doing now hmm. maybe the most helpful skill has been being able to build my self-confidence and my self-efficacy so really feeling like i can do stuff if I want to do it, I can, I can achieve a lot and I can um, feel confident about doing that. I think that maybe was the single most important gift, maybe even gift or skill that I was able to take with me into other areas of my life because, um, yeah, I'd say that one. And you know, it, it can, maybe it can be a double-sided coin because you could also put yourself under pressure by being like, well, come on, Lorraine, you're world champion. Like, you should be able to do this, you know? <laughs> like, uh, that's, again, the, the inner critic or that, that 
part of me inside that always demands the highest quality. Um, so I think there you see again that every characteristic can have two sides and it really depends on the situation and how you, how you interpret it that, that actually matters. But if you were to ask me, I mean, there are so many things, obviously, um, but probably that feeling of self-confidence and that I can do what I set my mind for. Yeah, that's hugely valuable in, in all areas of your life. Mm. And I think what you, I mean, all of what you said there was fascinating. Um, I just want to pick up on that bit about interpreting a particular trait or a particular reaction and then using it to the best of our advantage, you know, with, with people who are motivated, you know, in, in that performance setting you were talking about earlier where you're, you're even too, too, too motivated and you're too aroused and you're, you're having to stay calm in the moment. And if you have a, if someone's extremely, you know, got a lot of energy and a lot of drive, you know, sometimes there's kind of like a balancing to it. And, um, you know, a lot of people who are driven and who are successful and a lot of people in their day-to-day -day work are, you know, have this kind of sort of slightly uncomfortable kind of nervy, this maybe feel like it's fear driven, but this, I've, I've got to get up and do it. You know, I've, I've, I've got to do it because I should do it, or I've got to do it because I need to pay the rent, or I've got to do it because that's what I've got to do. Um, and in our minds, you know, we can make stuff up to be extremely important. Um, you know, I've got all this stuff to do. And, you know, 10 years later, we're still saying I've got all this stuff to do. And it's, it's kind of never ending. Um, you know, and, and we could look at that and go, you know, well, that's, uh, that can be a negative trait, you know, because that can uh, lead to disappointment and constantly feeling deflated from high expectations. And, but we can also take, as you said, every scenario has a, a, a double-edged sword or different sides of the coin, which I thought was really interesting. And you can take that trade and use it to its maximum advantages um, mm -hmm. and take the discipline that comes with it and the structure that comes with it and the get up and go that comes with it. But I, then I guess when you're in doing whatever you're doing, you can then, as you said, focus on the process and um, find other aspects, whether it's rele relevance or the social scenario to then get you really, really amped. And um, how have you found that kind of what you said about interpreting your drive where, you know, you're very driven and you've always got high expectations? Has that been just an unconscious thing that you've just kind of done or have you towards the end of your career sort of thought, okay, no, I am like this. So I need to do X, Y, and Z to make the most of that. Um, so it hasn't been an entirely unconscious thing at all. Um, it was at a certain time in my life for sure, because, you know, if that's a, something that you think is normal and maybe you don't realize that it's something that other people don't have. So I think it took me a while to realize, okay, I, I do have this drive. I, I am a driven person. Um, it seems to come easier to me than to other people. 
Um, but it's only until more recently that, you know, I've realized there's aspects of that that can be helpful for me and aspects of that that can be um, a disadvantage and that I, you know, something that I, I want to manage and it does tie in a lot to, to those high expectations I was talking about. So maybe more in recent years have I really also thought of myself as this really driven person and that that drive is is a great thing that that I can learn to harness and you know maybe for a long period it was more just normal oh. yeah I don't know if that answers your question um yeah yeah for sure yeah I mean <laughs> Um, not looking for any particular answer, but it, it's just really interesting how, because I'm imagining a lot of people can kind of relate to that. Um, you know, we have, uh, and, and for others, it can be the reverse. You know, maybe we have a lack of drive um, and, and we're needing to kind of give ourselves new goals or new visions or whatever it is to kind of give us that structure and that energy momentum to go forwards. And, um, but that recognition that every characteristic can kind of be a positive or a negative and your ability clearly has been to kind of take the, um, the positives out of a lot of them, which is, um, which is really interesting to hear. Um, so thank you. Um, yeah, thank you very much for your time. Um, I always sort of um, allow the, the guest speaker to put me on the spot in case to, <laughs> to, to have any role reversal in case there is a question that you'd like to ask or um, or anything if there's not that's absolutely fine um, but considering I've handed you with questions I think it's only fair um, well, does anything come yeah. okay um, get the chance Ken to ask you um, are you what I was speaking about, about um, having really high expectations and sometimes feeling down on yourself if you don't achieve those expectations. Um, you know, how do you coach people in that regard? Because um, I'm sure it's something that a lot of people have. And I, I don't know if you, if this is your experience, but I feel like especially women put themselves under a lot of pressure. I feel like men are sometimes a little bit more relaxed about things <laughs> and that women often feel like they have to be perfectly prepared and, and be so good at something until they can say, Hey, I've got this. I feel like men are a bit more, um, maybe have, maybe it has to do also with more self-confidence. I feel like men are often, ah, uh, you know, uh, whatever happens, I'll, I'll find a solution. I'll figure it out. And they don't stress as much. Like, how do you coach those kind of people in those scenarios? Mm, really good question. And um, I, th I think it really comes down to the individual and, and knowing, knowing ourselves. And when we can know ourselves, then we can balance ourselves out. And, um, you know, it's, it's really interesting when you look at whether it's an athlete or kind of a political figure or whatever, there's a lot of people who are, are driven to succeed and perhaps because they've, they've had a disaster in their past or they've, um, 
they come from poverty and they want they want a new life or they their motivations or um drive isn't always idyllic if you know what i mean maybe it's coming from a place of pain as opposed to a, a place of love and passion and um and it's really important i think when you know from a coaching perspective to to never quash that drive but to because it can be it could it can be what makes people and it can be what who they are and their energy but it's important that both parties recognize when it becomes an, an inhibitor. Um, mm. And so raising that awareness of when it becomes destructive or when it becomes a problem or when it's adding stress rather than adding energy, uh, positive energy, um, raising the awareness so then that individual can self-regulate and can self-manage their, their own states. And maybe that's having helping them to have a greater focus on the opposite to that, whether it's being in the moment, um, learning more, having more fun with other people, laughing more, or the flip side of it, people who have all, a lot of skill, but they, they struggle with direction and motivation, you know, helping them to, to find a structure and, uh, and tie in a lot of different drivers, which will then allow them to get really focused and really energized and really motivated. Um, but creating a scenario where they can build their own awareness and their own self-regulation so they can become more empowered um, is, is, usually, is usually my route. But it's, a, it's always a fascinating journey of people finding out what really drives them. Because often we, you know, when we haven't thought about our motivations much, we, we think we know what drives us. But when we take a deeper look at it, it's often, you know, a, a couple of different things. Um, mm. And I think once we can really identify what does drive us, we become a more powerful individual. You know, we can realign things and, and, uh, and make things more congruent. So we stop hitting roadblocks and hurdles and, and stresses and, and issues. Fascinating. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Mm. Well, thank you very much for your time. We're just, we're running out of time now. Um, and um, so just to kind of recap, you know, what I've, thank you very much. It's been really in, in so many things to take away. I think, um, you know, some of the things I've taken away is, is looking at um, our arousal alongside motivation and how that can really help to sort of channel our motivations in a, in a effective way. Um, the importance of, the social environment and the individuals around us be that team friends whatever and and having that kind of sense of belonging and and social drivers and motives happening the focusing on the process and ensuring that our our, our attention is placed on that and our motive motives are towards that process and then having discipline in our thoughts and the importance of building self-efficacy along the way which will then increase further motivation and self-efficacy being confidence and or competence and uh, and then the interpretation of our you know of our particular traits or or habits of doing things and and seeing the positives out of that to um and creating balance for the 
for when it becomes inhibitive. Um, those are, are some of my takeaways. So um, hopefully anyone listening is, what's that? I said, boom, Cam, what is something? <laughs> Hit the nail on the head. <laughs> Yeah, it was uh, it was great listening to you. Um, so yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for joining us today. Um, and we'll sign out. And um, if people want to know more about you, how can they find you? Uh, my Instagram handle is Lorraine Huber, and my website is Lorraine Huber. <laughs> it's L O R A I N E H U B E R. Yeah. Great That's stuff. It. I highly recommend people Googling Lorraine and seeing some of the uh, amazing skiing that she does. All right, great stuff. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.